Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Keith Putnam Delaney, who is the founder and CEO of Primer. Primer is a company that helps other businesses reach their leads everywhere. Essentially, they're increasing conversion rates by 5x when they target the same lead across all major ad platforms, social networks, and outbound channels. We talk all things growth in this episode because Keith's experience, he has a lot of it in growth and brand strategy. And he started off early on was brand strategy lead at Dropbox, really on the Dropbox for business, helping them reposition uh, their relaunch of the pro product. From there, moving on to Eden, where he's the head of growth and even being an advisor at First Round Capital to now at this point where he's running Primer. And we talk all things growth in this episode. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. And without further ado, here is Keith Putnam Delaney, the founder and CEO of Primer, which you can find at sayprimer.com. Keith, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yes, great to have you on, uh, especially with all your experience and growth across a number of different uh, companies. But with Primer, can you tell people a little bit about what Primer is? Yeah, sure. So uh, one of the things that I think a lot of people have felt um, on the like mobile application front is this fragmentation, right? We all look at our phones and there's so many apps. Um, <laughs> same thing has been happening in SaaS. Um, so in B2B SaaS, especially in marketing technology and sales technology. Um, so there's tons of different tools that people are using. There are tons of different databases. Um, and one of the, the things that we're trying to solve with Primer is start stitching those together. Um, so we've started with tying together a, about eight different databases right now that we allow our customers to, to pull from. Um, and then we are rapidly rolling out integrations with, with other tools. So you can kind of have a, think of it like Zapier, but skinned for B2B marketing use cases and more powerful because it has the data uh, behind it to allow you to, for example, um, you know, you've got a target customer, uh, you can hit them with ads on Facebook, LinkedIn, Google, uh, you can trigger them to go into a HubSpot email nurture sequence, and then you can push them into a tool like a sales automation tool, like outreach to have an SDR follow up and all of that can be managed from one hub. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's pretty powerful, or it will be pretty powerful. We're still early <laughs> days, but that's yeah, yeah. that's the direction we're headed. No, that's awesome. And having you know run these different things and play with different tools uh, in my past history, it's something that it does need to be rolled up, and it's so much more convenient when you have kind of one platform that that organizes these things as you're as you're kind of doing with many different many different tools, many different. Uh, like you said, Zapier does a great job with that uh, across their different tools, and and there's a there's a a long path to get here to primer and a lot of experience you've had in the past to get to this point. And, you know, with all of that experience on the growth side, on marketing side, I, like I mentioned kind of before we got started was there's so much to share with other people. And I think a, a good way to go about that with your kind of your experiences would be to go back to Dropbox or heading more, you know, leading the brand strategy around Dropbox or business. Uh, I'd be curious, like when you started at Dropbox, what was kind of the, the goal they had in front of you and, and how did that uh, get started with that? Yeah, I mean, so Dropbox, uh, 
is it, I don't know if it's fair to say it's like kind of iconic uh, for <laughs> that, that era of like, Definitely. When, I think, when I think about the TV show, Silicon Valley, I, I just like, wow, I, I lived some of that stuff. You're like, like, I was in that. <laughs> I was in that. Uh, you know, it was, it was part of this era of like kind of peak tech in some ways. And, uh, you know, had, had developed this, this product led uh this company, which which had very little marketing for most of its existence, because it didn't need it. It had yeah. built incredible uh, growth loops into into its product, uh, and and had achieved remarkable remarkable success. Um, and then, as it as it got more mature, uh, they started hiring, building out a marketing team, really to focus on how do we move up the stack into enterprises and small businesses. Uh, so that's where. That, that's right around the time that I was hired. Um, and our, our goal was to think about how to position what was a consumer product uh, to enter more of the business environment. Uh, and it was uh, a very interesting challenge. One, I frankly, like they haven't completely solved yet. You know, if you look at the average revenue per user at Dropbox, it's a hundred bucks, um, or a little over that still. Um, but they have just remarkable penetration across small businesses. Um, and, uh, you know, have done some very, very cool things with that. I understand that part of it. You have, like you said, you mentioned the growth loops and right when you started, I mean, what were some of those things they had done inherently in the product to grow before, if you know, for context and some of those things for people? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, one of the stories that that Drew Houston tells all the time is about when they we first launched Dropbox, that the first thing he did to try to acquire customers was spend on AdWords, um, SEM. Uh, and he they spent $100,000 and got very few users. Uh, and then <laughs> And then they took a step back, shut off marketing spend, and thought about, okay, how can we make each customer, each user that we bring on, how can they contribute to bringing on an, a new customer? And they rolled out, which is probably the most famous referral marketing program in, in history, um, you know, where each new user signed up. As soon as the first page they got to, the confirmation page after signing up was a, a push to invite other friends to use Dropbox and they would get more free space as a result of each user that came on. And then that, that became something that Every, I feel like every other <laughs> startup replicated or tried yeah. to try to reenact, um, and that, that's that's like the main example of how they how they grew. But there were lots of other, there, there was an extremely thoughtful uh, team about how to create these these acquisition loops. If I would encourage anybody, you know, here's a here's a specific tip: check out Reforge. Um, I don't know if people on your program have talked about that before, but it's an incredible marketing uh, course um, that talks a lot about how to develop acquisition loops for different business models. Oh, that's awesome. I don't think anyone has mentioned that before on the show. I love hearing those types of things. There's so many different resources out there that are great for entrepreneurs trying to find ways to build companies, uh, especially when you're looking at different ways, different opportunities, especially if it's a loop, or even if looking at like a marketing flywheel that Rand Fishkin talks about a lot uh, within your business as well. And, and understanding from Dropbox, and that was where the setup was. They had figured that part of it out. Take me through what are some of the first things that you did then to help them grow once you got started? I think the under the, the the challenge was several fold. I think the first thing, and this is what you know everybody talks about, but uh, a lot of people try to try to kind of skim over this step and leap to just getting revenue. <laughs> but it's understanding <laughs> who the hell you're selling to, 
right? Who is that that right buyer? Who I mean, there if if our target market is conceivably every company in the world, like every white collar desk worker in the world, you know, who, who's going to be that that early adopter? Who's who are the people that are absolutely primed to 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 buy Dropbox? And there were two ways we we kind of approached figuring that out. One was um, outside in, and the other was inside out. So because at this point we were a larger company, we could afford to do some uh, fair, a fairly significant amount of qualitative and quantitative research, user research. Um, so that was you know we did a big segmentation effort, um, tried to you know look at uh, overlapping technologies, um, you know right kinds of companies, industries, et cetera, et cetera. And then we also looked at our our own user base um, and saw, okay, where are we seeing, like what domains have a high degree of free Dropbox usage? Mm, Um, And then we built tools around uh, around that so we could surface that to marketing and sales. And then the team could go after and try to close those. And that's that's something that a lot, I mean, that is frankly um, something that, is a missing product, in my opinion, in, <laughs> in the marketplace. If somebody wants to go out and start a company, there's all these freemium products from Amplitude Analytics to Miro to Figma, um, you know, you name it, um, uh, that that are looking to figure out how to upsell customers um, and, and identify their usage within an org and then manage that upsell. Uh, and, and a lot of com- a lot of the you know top startups end up building internal tools to do that data discovery and then create kind of uh, workflows. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's a, that's a product that's waiting to be built. Well, on that kind of on the end, just thinking of the the customers that you mentioned, starting from that, that point, and I mentioned Rand already. It's just, I don't know why it happened to be in my mind with the marketing. Cause he's just like marketing genius, but uh, spark Toro, I don't know if you've heard of that tool before, but spark Toro is a company uh, basically ran fishing had started Moz, which was a oh, big yeah. SEO company. He started that moved on to spark Toro, his new company, which is basically an audience kind of uh, insights platforms, basically say instantly discover what your audience reads, watches and listens to listens to like yeah. that type of thing. Like, and it's because of that reason of like, you need to understand that as one of the first points. And uh, yeah. that's where you kind of develop this. And that's a tool for people if you're interested in, in finding out some of those audience insights, because that's a starting point. Like you mentioned, it's like really understanding who, who the heck these people are that you're trying to market to in the first place. I've never heard of Spark Toro, but I know Bombora. This is a, ah, a yeah. Yeah, very cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty new. I think you only launched it within the last year. I want to say, but um, and with that too, understand that you're starting with that point at Dropbox, where you try to understand the audience. You have a lot of data because it's a bigger company, so you you're able to kind of look at those insights. There's so many different channels and things to look at. How did you go from there? Then understanding kind of the customer a little bit. What were some of those next steps? And I know you're at Dropbox for a couple of years, so it's not all happening right away. But I'm curious as how that progressed in terms of what were some of the different channels you were looking at to, to help grow. Yeah, I mean, you look at kind of think like owned versus paid channels, right? What do you have access to that you can easily uh, uh, invest in with relatively low cost for for high impact? It's that kind of you know, like like have you heard of the rice model, right? For decision making, sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, so that's that's that you, know, you start start with that approach. Um, and for us, it was very clearly uh, email and in an app, right? Um, so how could we, how could we look at user behavior and then, uh, what's, what's the progression of user behavior that leads to, um, them, uh, signing up essentially the actions they should, we need to get them to take in the product, 
uh, to the point where they're willing to pay for it or their, their company or their team is willing to upgrade. And then we developed, you know, in-app notifications and email programs uh, that really tried to push and drive towards those behaviors. Um, following that was investing in, in content, especially as we were trying to move up the stack in enterprise and enter, enter the consideration set for larger companies. Um, you know, there was always a constant amount of SEM, um, primarily branded <laughs> SEM, just because we had to protect our own domain name, yeah. which sucks. Like the, the millions and millions of dollars that were spent just like running an ad on Drop. When people search for Dropbox, we had to be the first ad there. That's so um, insane. And that was so mostly insane. users just trying to log in. It wasn't yeah. like actual <laughs> acquisition. <you know? laughs> It's brutal. Yeah. And, 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 but, but, you know, the, the, the thing about Dropbox was we eventually moved into more, um, uh, you know, brand, traditional brand marketing. Um, it, but it's, it, it was a, uh, a relatively low investment, you know, we compared to, to other channels that, that could just drive more acquisition for us. Um, I think there was, as we were, as we began to think about the, it was really around like the story that that we wanted to tell about who we were as a company. We, we shifting this idea of just being simply a file storage and sharing for consumers um, th- to to we're a company that does so much more and we're and we're the right fit for a lot of enterprises. Mm-hmm. That was when uh, brand marketing really uh, took off uh, as an investment area. What what prompted that? I mean, what prompted that change or that shift? Because I, I know I'm sure it doesn't happen necessarily overnight. What prompted the shift to focusing more on the brand and really thinking about that side of things at Dropbox? I think well, I think brand was always a huge part of Dropbox. I mean, the the and really, or maybe a better way of putting that was design, right? Product design, yeah. how to create something that's so fucking simple. Am I right? Sorry, am I allowed to no. swear? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. <laughs> no limitations here. Go for it. Thank God. Okay. Um, I have a one-year-old and I'm like starting to really try to watch my language. Um, yeah. Okay. So brand was always integral, integral into the product design. Um, but then uh, I think, you know, and, and I think like the simplicity of the product, there was a real, real focus on that end user. Uh, and then it, it, it honestly, like, to be perfectly honest, it was a, a little bit of an identity crisis for Dropbox as, as it, appro- you know, kept raising money, approached this pre-IPO status, um, rep, you know, revenue and, and moving into the enterprise became more, there was more and more pressure to achieve goals in that respect. And, and there was this tension between how do we, how do we, how are we a business product and how do we position ourselves as a business product while, while still being a very user-friendly consumer product. Um, and it, it uh, I, I honestly think still to this day, Dropbox is trying to figure that out. I mean, that's so difficult though, I mean, to, to be able to do that. And, and for you then, in, in your work, I mean, what were some of the things that as you're at Dropbox for a couple of years, uh, working on specifically in terms of like your day to day and what things you're looking at, thinking about, uh, I'm just curious as to your kind of experience a little bit more, and then I want to transition into the next one because it kind of <laughs> makes it really interesting story to go from Dropbox to a smaller company startup then. Yeah. I mean, I, the things that I was focused on, uh, first and foremost was the launch of the Dropbox for business brand. So, you know, kind of, how do we bridge that divide between, between being a consumer product and becoming an enterprise product? And it was really like, like 
kind of mapping out a progression for that, um, which started with focusing on smaller enterprises, um, started, you know, of, you know cert certain industries and thinking about what are kind of the, the brand values that we're already known for the, the, you know, not to get too deep into brand strategy, but like the functional and emotional benefits that we're providing. Um, and then what do we need to, what messages do we need to communicate um, to address some of the, the basic um, business requirements um, to, to go into, you know, uh, small and mid-market companies. So, you know, things around, you know, um, uh, data protection and, 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 uh, and other things that, that made us just seem like a little bit more of a, a yeah, an, an enterprisey company. Um, so first was that positioning. Then it was sort of figuring out, um, you know, the segmentation and, and working uh, on on getting that message out through through our own channels. Then it became developing a content function and starting to produce, you know, the traditional white papers and things like that you need. Then it became like, how do we go out and do more like more branding marketing campaigns? So our first TV ad, which was which was pretty cool. Um, and then right before I, I left, I, I switched gears to focus on um, kind of rebranding our pro product, which was, um, you know, uh, dropped our paid version of the consumer product and then and then getting into onboarding and revamping and understanding onboarding so that we could get uh, uh, higher, uh, higher conversion rates there. Um, so covered a lot of different territory in a, in a brief amount of time. <laughs> Part yeah. of the... The beauty of, you know, uh, doing the startup thing, uh, Absolutely. learning at its best. Yeah. And being able to have uh, enough budget behind it to really test some interesting things as well, especially. Totally. Yeah. And, and with that too, you mentioned content a couple of times. How do you look at content and using that to grow the brand, to, uh, you know, go into the enterprise? I just want to hear a little bit more about uh, that in terms of how you're looking at that and the content side, because content can, you know, fuel a lot of businesses and you've seen different businesses being built off of content i'm curious as with dropbox how are you kind of looking at that what were some of the things to consider it's 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 a really interesting with dropbox uh, look, look, i'm going to take a step back and even higher level this, yeah. is, this yeah. is like uh this is a complex question because you know the traditional model of b2b marketing um and marketing automation since you know the 2000s was was content marketing right hubspot made this famous yep. with their their whole approach marketo um and, and then every you know it's like okay produce a white paper put it behind it gate it get somebody to click on it then drop them into an email nurture sequence and after they take enough actions kick them over to sales team for sales to reach out and <laughs> blah blah blah, blah. I mean, and then, and then it took this evolution. There was like native advertising where you could do sponsored content on websites and, and the, the fragmentation of, of, you know, just, just the, frankly, the internet, like there's so many places to discover content. There's so many, it's so hard. The, the challenge with content now is people like, and I think, I think people are finally starting to figure this out and we didn't, and it took us a while to figure it out at Dropbox is that. You have to make like like broad-based general messaging is very hard to make work now, unless your product is just out of control, awesome, um, and, or, or you have something that's 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 unique. Um, you have to get more specific, both in terms of the content that you produce and the places that you try to try to make it discovered, like like where you serve it. Um, because, uh, you know, be, because of just the fragmentation of media consumption now. 
Um, so at Dropbox, you know, we, we started with like, we, we took baby steps, which is the progression that most companies take. You know, we started with like, let's get out the, the basic white papers around, you know, IT security that we need to get out so that the IT buyer um, can feel good about purchasing Dropbox. Then, you know, we started exploring customer case studies and testimonials so the sales team could have things to, to, um, um, to share. And then, you know, like, like you know, we, we, we kind of evolved from there. With that too, one thing that you talked about was segmentation a little bit earlier. Just like dropping that in, I know, uh, I know that Zuleika who connected us mentioned something around segmentation as well. At, at Dropbox, how are you looking at segmentation with customers and using that even at that point in time in the, those two years? Yeah, I mean, we were we were looking at. at the, I mean, this was a while ago, like four or five <laughs> years ago. Um, so we were thinking about, seg- at that point, we were thinking about segmentation around, you know, kind of traditional ind- companies, like like firmographics, right? Company size, industry, um, uh, use Dropbox usage, um, and, and role. Um, you know, th- th- those were the main ways we were looking at, at segmentation um, because th- those were the main data, that, that was the data that we had at that time. I think segmentation's evolving rapidly right now. Uh, yeah, there's much more interesting and sophisticated ways you can approach it. Yeah. And to that point, then like, let's, let's go through then with, with Eden, because that was kind of the next step that was more recent going from Dropbox, which is, uh, I mean, obviously it was a very well-funded even back then, uh, then going to a bit smaller with Eden. How did that transition go for you? Why did you end up first off just deciding to, to join them? Yeah. So, I mean, when I joined Dropbox, it, we were a couple hundred people by the time I left two years later, we were 1300, um, which is insane. Uh, <laughs> looking back and it's, it beca- when, when, when you, when you scale that rapidly, right. Uh, things break, internal processes break, um, uh, just, just oh, throwing in that many more people. Um, and also just kind of the nature of the business changes, you know, like, like, like and, and the jobs that you're doing as you, as you get, uh, as you get larger, you have to get more specialized in your role typically. Um, um, and for me, I, I really enjoy the, the building part and, uh, and, you know, it, that had been, Dropbox was my first foray into kind of the startup world. Uh, so I was like, all right, screw it. Let's go do something really early stage. Uh, and I, I started talking to buddies and, um, kind of hanging out a little bit, uh, with more of the, the, the YC community and, um, connected with, with the team at Eden, um, as they were four people and joined us there their first head of growth. Cause I was like, you know what I want to do? I want to do that early stage thing. I want to get a taste for it and see if it's for me. Amazing. And so Keith, you talked about being at Dropbox and that, that experience and just kind of leading into now your experience at Eden, take me through how that was, what you kind of walked into when you, when you started at Eden, cause that was obviously a smaller company, different than Dropbox. Take me through what that situation was. Yeah. I think for anybody who's making the transition, well, well, first of all, my, my career progression went from, you know, fortune 500 companies to Dropbox to, you know, a five person seed stage startup. It's kind of been a journey. And now, now I'm a founder. So it's yeah. aggressively smaller as well. At some point it'll be like half, hopefully it's just like half of me working on like half of something. Um, exactly. Uh, I think that's the trajectory I'm on. But uh, I mean, it's just, you know, for anybody who, who, who's make that, who makes that transition into a, a super small company, um, the, the most challenging and kind of coolest part about it is how scrappy you have to be. Um, and it's a totally different set of challenges to try to grow a business 
that has infrastructure, that has teams that, you know, may or may not all work well efficiently and work well versus um, having nothing and trying to figure out how to how to build that from um, from like zero to one. Um, so that's that was uh, that was kind of the exciting part about going into Eden is just discovering, OK, you know, we have a little bit of product market fit. Um, we think we know who we want as customers. Uh, how do we how do we acquire them? Um, and yeah. And from that, then for other people to have context, because I, I definitely want to talk about this point specifically coming in there as the head of growth. I mean, what are the the things you do initially, like, are you looking at, okay, which channels, who's our customer? I mean, just take me through some of those things you're kind of thinking about as you're getting started and I definitely want to go into more in depth as well. Yeah. I think the balance for any, any early stage startup, um, is, is this constant tension between kind of, um, left brain and right brain, um, uh, marketing growth, uh, demand gen, whatever you want to call it, because on the one hand, you really, really, really have to hone in and understand, um, who is this product a good fit for? Um, what's the message that I need to communicate to them? How do I get that message across? Um, you know, really digging into that ideal customer profile, running segmentation exercises, talking to, you know, it, but when I say segmentation, I mean it in a very lightweight way, yeah. talking, you know, getting on sales calls, talking to people, um, seeing who you're closing, looking very closely at the funnel. Um, and then coming up with the, the copy and positioning to, to help you get more of those folks. Um, so that's kind of more of the left brain stuff. The, on the right brain side, you've got to, uh, you've got to be super analytical. Um, you have to be rapidly A-B testing different channels um, to try to try to reach those folks. And you have to like start building systems to, to scale, scale those channels. Um, and I think, I honestly, I think like market, like those kinds of marketers that can do that. And I, I don't profess to be one of them, um, <laughs> are unicorns, uh, because most people are either one or the other, right? They're either very analytical, data-driven, um, systems oriented, or they're more kind of creative, uh, brand, brandy, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, um, I, I had to, uh, try to straddle that line between the two. So, you know, the first thing I did was get on, uh, I started doing sales um, day one, uh, just took over uh, sales. Um, then, you know, the, started thinking about what are the easy channels that we have that, that we can test that it would allow us to reach people and where we can uh, A-B test. And this is four years ago when sending cold email could work. Uh, so we just, <laughs> we, we rapid, I mean, I, I think I expanded our cold email efforts from like a couple hundred to at one point we were sending 10,000 cold emails a week, which is That's insane. <laughs> I, I, I'm not proud of that. Stat. Holy um, shit. Um, but we were able to learn a lot from that. We were able, you know, we were able to A-B test subject lines, A-B test body copy, A-B test who, who we were sending it to on all sorts of different levels and then um, figure out, uh, figure out what worked. Um, and, that's that's where I kind of always when when I'm talking to um, other early stage companies, um, the first thing I do is say like, okay, what's an easy channel that you get like low cost, low investment, where you can learn learn rapidly, um, and email email. I think to this day, email is still um, probably the the best one for that. Would you, I mean, how do you look at email versus other channels, whether it be like LinkedIn or, or other ones? I mean, email you, you're saying is probably still the best. What's the hesitation? What other channels do you think are close? 
Um, I, I honestly, like, like, I don't know if there really are other channels that are close. I think email saturated. Um, so it's, and it's very easy to do email poorly, um, and see bad results and then dismiss it. Um, LinkedIn starting to get saturated too. you know, the number of LinkedIn connect requests and, and shitty messages I get there. Um, yeah. I'm getting kind of bombarded. The real, the real challenge is that the, the channels that, that end up, um, generally creating the most success, um, either take more investment, right? Um, uh, SEO, uh, you can, you can develop an incredible, uh, acquisition engine off the back of SEO, but it takes time to develop that content and to, uh, it, it, it's a, it's a long-term investment trying to create some sort of product, uh, growth loop. Um, that's an investment, um, you know, especially at, a, especially at a point when you're super early stage and you're trying to uh, just like build build functionality to serve your existing customers, let alone add in functionality that helps you acquire new customers, um, it can be a challenge to you know uh, address that tension. Um, you know, paid paid acquisition, so ads, right? That is a monetary investment um, that yep. can be quite significant. Um, so you know, all of these things, like like I think the the challenge that a lot of founders struggle with is you know being open to placing these bets and you have to be willing to place a bunch of different bets um but before you do you have to be very rigorous in how you set up like a good test and a good test really comes down to to two component like two core components one is like make sure you like whatever you're going into you under you try to understand that 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 like vehicle that channel as well as possible Un like have very strong conviction around the messaging that you think will work um, um why you think this will work um talk to other people who have done it gather expertise and then um structure like like you actually have to structure a, a clean test where you know you're 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 very clear on what variable um, you're optimizing for and yeah. how you're going to measure results. Otherwise, you're you you end up throwing good money after bad and spending a lot and being like, well, we we just spent like ten thousand dollars on Facebook and we don't know if it worked. <laughs> Not a great place to be in. <laughs> To that point, we mentioned with these different channels. You mentioned obviously the on the SEO side, the investment of, of time and you know weights to to rank and get links and everything with that. And then looking at your other channels, whether it be paid acquisition or you're saying like building the you know kind of growth loops and viral growth loops into the products itself. I mean, how can people approach you know choosing a channel or deciding which ones to even test? Uh, I know I'm, I'm assuming that people listening are going to be like, okay, that that's great to hear that Keith, there's different ones, but like, where do we start with kind of choosing a channel or, or to that point? I'm just curious on what you would think about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, start with, this is why I come back to like the, the product marketing, um, yeah. kind of like what I think why that's actually undervalued at an early stage company. A lot, a lot of people ask me, who's the first marketer that I should hire? Um, and almost all of them come in, like, I want a growth person. Um, and I'm like, okay, what the fuck does that mean, even mean? Anymore? <laughs> um, but, but I actually think for a lot of companies, especially if you're selling something that has a relatively high ACV, you know, average contract value, your first hire should be a product marketer. Um, and the reason is you have to discover like wh who your, who your customers are and where they are. 
um, like, like where are they hanging out? Like, like and, and what messages work for them? And then once you figure out where, like, like where they exist, um, then you can start like basically, uh, coming up with ideas of different, like, acqui- like acquisitions or channel tests you want to run. So I want to, let's try, you know, a cold email sequence to 300 of, you know, segment a, um, versus, you know, uh, uh, you know, Facebook ads versus, um, uh, it's like, like invest in this webinar versus, you know, whatever. And then, and then you, you basically, you, you basically, you, you do a kind of classic brainstorm where you throw out a, sh- a boatload of ideas, um, and then you score them, um, you know, what you like, like reach impact, confidence and effort, um, and whichever bubble to the top, um, that's what you prioritize and you start testing. And then you go into, you know, uh, I highly recommend you go into a sprint mode, um, where you have. You know, you're, every two weeks, um, you're running out new, te- you're, you're doing new tests, and then that's how you can quickly figure out uh, what what's working and what's not. And then for Eden, understanding that, understanding kind of what you said already, you 14x growth and 24 revenue in 24 months at Eden. I mean, what were some of the things that worked uh, well for you guys there, or worked the most, I should say, at least? Yeah, I mean, there's no silver bullet. There very very rarely is a silver bullet. Um, sure, um, but you know. You, what you typically find is that one to two channels end up um, being really effective for your business. Um, for us, that was cold email um, because we were really rigorous in our testing approach and uh, we had a very large addressable market. So we were able to you know, email a lot of people and like burn through leads to, to learn, um, so to speak. Um, and then the other was actually like community. Um, so we did something kind of interesting where we discovered that there was this, this online community of, uh, of, uh, folks in our market, like office managers, um, that was, that was big and it was growing and turns out it was structured as an LLC. So we went to the person, like the founder and we were like, can we buy this from you? Um, because we were just seeing tons of organic mentions of our company on the platform, we were getting a ton of referrals from it. Um, and, and we, we ended up buying it. We didn't mess with it. We didn't like, we didn't start, you know, branding it, uh, with our, our, you know, with Eden's logo. Instead, we just put resources behind it to help it grow even faster. Um, and that, that became a, a huge source of, um, of customers for us. And one of the things that I want to discuss, you kind of t- touched on this a little bit with understanding like, p- people coming to with different questions or asking about different things. You've been an advisor or still are an advisor to a number of different startups and even in the kind of expert network of, of first round capital. What are some of those things typically you're helping companies with or, or challenges they're, they're coming to you with? Like, hey, Keith, can you help us with X? I'm just curious as what some of those things are. Oh, man, it varies so much by um, company stage and kind of industry. Um, you know... I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure it's a, a number of things. Like you said, it's going to vary depending on stage, depending on what the type of company is. Uh, I just like to uh, showcase all of your growth knowledge for, for us and get as many insights as possible in different, different ways to get people thinking about how to grow their company just because you've done it a number of times and help people. So yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think if you, you know, you, you look at different areas of expertise, um, you know, product led growth, um, and those kind of acquisition loops versus SEO versus, uh, you know, product marketing and, um, um, paid acquisition where I would say I've probably developed, uh, 
the most expertise over the last few years is on how to stitch um, systems and tools together so that you can actually have like coherent um, multi-channel marketing. Um, so how do you like, like, I mean, how do you, how do you set up your marketing and sales uh, infrastructure in a way that in like, in like kind of system um, yeah. that allows you to, uh, uh, you know, uh, make those things work together for more efficient growth? Going from Eden, where you were head of growth, uh, that's for a couple of years then, uh, and then eventually you, you end up at Primer. Take me through that transition of how you went from there and decided to then end up starting your own thing, continuing the journey downward to smaller and smaller. I'm curious as to how that transition went for you, Keith. Yeah. I mean, I think when, I think anybody who goes to work for an early stage company, who's not a founder needs to understand that, uh, they're, they're basically like a glorified paid intern. Um, because you know, <laughs> like, and if, if you go in Fair. and like, they're offering you, you know, 30,000 shares, like people, like I've seen, I've seen, you know, Yale graduates be like, Oh, this is awesome. I'm going to get paid, you know, 80 K, but I've got 30,000 shares. And then I'm like, yeah, but okay. But what's, what's the, what's the overall cap table? You know, how, yeah. what does that really mean? Like how many basis points does that, does that represent? And they're like, Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> Never count on your, your startup equity, um, really meet, becoming anything like, like, uh, as, as, as an early stage employee, um, or if you, if you are going to go down that road, road, be extraordinarily diligent in, in the companies that you pick, um, yeah. to, to join. Um, because, you know, most people go to work for an early stage startup, they get, they're underpaid, um, for a variety of reasons I could go on and on about. Um, and then they, they, they like are banking on this equity that, that if it manifests itself, won't appear for at probably at least five years. Um, um, so, so you really need to be thinking about like early stage, um, startups as, as a learning opportunity more than anything. Um, for me, that's what it was. Um, you know, like, like I, I went down this progression. I went from bigger companies to smaller companies. And I, I like learned a lot from Eden about how to grow a company. And then I kind of looked at myself. I looked at my age. I was like, you know what? I'm making, uh, I think I need to optimize for cash now. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm about to get married. I'm thinking of, you know, family in the future. I want to buy a house in the Bay area. Uh, yeah. yeah how, like it's time, it's time to, it's time to do something on my, on my own or, or something else. Um, so I, I yeah. left, um, I started advising and doing kind of the freelance consulting thing and then carving out time within that to think about different startup ideas. And, um, I, I actually kind of with, with the help and guidance of a few friends, um, developed a process where I would, I would spend four days a week working or, you know, every two weeks on one week off, it, it kind of varied upon my, uh, my consulting engagements um, and advising engagements. And then I would, I would like deep dive into a subject area and uh, research the shit out of it, write like a mini white paper on it and like a business model. And then, you know, think, see if it was a viable scheme. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I did that. I did that for like uh, nine months, um, maybe a little bit longer, um, before I realized that with each consulting engagement I was doing, I was basically setting up the same system over and over and over again. And I was yeah. like, 
well, shit, like it was duct tape. It was some offshore workers. It was Zapier. It was these different tools. Um, and I was like, somebody needs to turn this into a product. But I looked at, at MarTech and I was like, man, the last area I want to build a startup in is in MarTech. It's so crowded. <laughs> um, and I resisted it and I fought it some more. And then, then I actually started thinking about it. And I was like, actually, you know, what I'm doing with this Zapier and duct tape and offshore workers and these different tools is, um, is starting to knit these tools together. And this, this explosion in SaaS is due for, for more of a convergence. Um, and I, I actually started, you know, kind of, I, I, I took a step back and I wrote a white paper on why this would be a good business. Um, and I looked at, you know, the auto industry in the early 20th century and how that, you know, there were like a thousand auto companies. And then by 1940, there were like five. Um, and consolidation happens after every uh, kind of wave of, of innovation. Um, and maybe there's actually, maybe MarTech is, is and a lot of SaaS verticals are, are due for that. Um, so that's what kind of led me to like have the confidence that, that there was a, a potentially a really strong business to be built in this space. Um, and then, uh, then I went on the search for a co-founder, um, uh, which took some while, took a while, but we got there. Yeah. <laughs> Take me through that. That's a, that's a huge part of the business. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, uh, I've been lucky enough to get to know a bunch of, or have a bunch of friends who work in, um, the VC community and, you know, who have started companies, um, successful companies. And I was talking to them, it's like, could I do this on my own? I, I'm, I'm like semi-technical, but I'm, I'm definitely not a software engineer by, by training. Um, uh, and, uh, like everybody I talked to was like, you should, if you're going to do this, particularly if you're going to raise money from a VC, um, you should, you need a CTO, you need like a stellar, um, uh, technical partner, um, yeah. to help you do it. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not sure if this is like, I want to raise money from, from venture, but, um, but I, I do, I did. I did become convinced uh, I needed that. And then honestly, it, I, I went into like dating mode and I, I'd been in a serious relationship for a long time now, Justin. Like I, I forgot <laughs> how kind of awesome and awful dating is. It's uh, both. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> As a single man right now, I will tell you it's both yeah. it's terrible and also great. <laughs> We're on a lot of awkward co-founder dates. Like, Hey, like I get introduced to another guy and be like, Hey, let's grab a beer. Like, like, let's talk. Uh, you know, what, so what makes you tick? Like, what are you into? You know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and what were you looking for specifically? Like what, what was the, like, I understand that kind of the CTO side of things and that, but like what, what, what from a co-founder characteristics, attributes, anything as just a good vibe when you met them? Like, I'm curious that where your head was at. Yeah. A lot of it is, I think at the end of the day, you know, it, it's, it was two things. It's complementary skill sets, right? Yeah. And then complementary values. Um, I think more fundamentally as like a, a human, um, just like you look for in a romantic partner too. Yeah. Um, and, uh, as mo like, you know, I, I did not, I, I did not, I wish, is there a hinge for finding co-founders or something? Like, I feel like there's definitely an app out there. There's got, uh, there has to be, I feel like I've seen it before. There has to be. Yeah. Um, I did not discover, uh, I did not discover an app or you actually, I did kind of use another one. There was like, uh, this app that these guys at South Park Commons developed. 
Um, I forgot, I forget what it's called, but it was like setting people up for coffees. I did that a few times. Um, um, but I ended up getting introduced to, um, uh, my co-founder Juan through a, one of my best friends who was VP of product at a, at a startup called Monzi, where he was C VP of engineering. Um, and he'd, uh, co-founded uh, a couple of other YC companies as CTO. Um, we started chatting. Um, we actually kind of went into it, uh, in, a, in an interesting approach that I, so I've always been a big fan of contract to hire. Um, yeah. You know, like I, 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 when you, when you hire somebody as a full-time employee right after the bat, after an interview process where we're interviewing is mostly bullshit at people on both sides of the table are basically putting forward the best versions of themselves. And, and, <laughs> and you have no idea what it's really like to work with this person. So I've, I've always had a bias towards um, contracting with somebody before bringing them on full-time. And that's, that's essentially what Juan and I did. He wanted to, I was doing the advising thing. He was doing the consulting thing too, like uh, kind of a freelance CTO for, for a bunch of really cool startups. And we just were like, Hey, what if we got together, we built this, um, you know, we could, you know, like, like I'll, I was like, I'll pay you to build an MVP um, at a highly discounted rate. If it works <laughs> out, um, you know, we'll go into the, go in on this together as, as equal co-founders. And that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, we, we had the opportunity to work together. We realized it was a really good fit. Um, well, the MVP ended up in a good place. We, uh, we got some, some great initial signals on it. And then we sat down and we kind of wrote out a little founder manifesto of um, kind of what we wanted out of this company and how we would handle certain difficult situations if we were to confront them. And then, um, and then we, uh, we signed the paperwork, basically got hitched. That's amazing. It's, I mean, it's such a hard, difficult thing to try to find someone to work with. And I like what you mentioned around kind of testing, you know, uh, testing them out almost like a contract to hire type of situation because you really can't know from just talking to someone if necessarily they're going to be a great person to work with. Um, to be able to actually experience that is something that seems like tremendously valuable. And and one of the things I want to just discuss, uh, if there's anything in particular for you uh, with any any different tools, any software, any apps, anything that, uh, or even just cool little tools you find that have uh, been useful or things that you love that you're using right now? I'm just curious. Yeah, I love I love Notion for note-taking and kind of organizing. Um, uh, I love an app called Missive because I have like eight different email accounts um, <laughs> and it all, it's like front, but uh, free or cheap. Um, I love Figma for design. Um, there's a really cool new uh, uh, sales tool called uh, Battle Card um, that I've been a big fan of for like kind of um, bringing one pagers online. Um, for cold email marketing, uh, Lemlist is fantastic. They also have a really neat feature where they help you maintain your domain health. Um, there's a really cool, if you're in B2B, uh, there's a really cool startup called Purple Sonar that's doing some incredible web crawling to find, um, to scrape like kind of intent signals. Um, yeah. I'm really into that, into them. I think they're going to go far. Um, what else? Well, I'm trying to, I'm actually like just looking at my browsers right at my tabs to see what I have open. Um, that's perfect. I knew by the way, you were going to be the person to ask about these tools. I don't always ask every guest about this, but I know someone in growth and just knowing your background, it seemed like you'd have a few right away. And sure enough, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I got, I like, 
go to outboundmatters.com and I have like, it's an old website of mine and I like list out all my favorite tools. <laughs> Great to know. Making note of that. It'll be in the show notes, everybody, yeah. just to make sure you know. <laughs> um, it's, it hasn't been updated in a, in a little bit. Um, what? Oh God. Uh, Dashblock is uh, by a couple of YC guys. If you guys are looking for an incredible scraper, uh, scraping tool, that is fantastic. I can't speak highly enough of it. Dash block, you said? Was yeah, dash block. Okay, perfect. Um, um, uh, a couple of French guys um, started it. Um, uh, Wiza, um, W-I-Z-A, is uh, a really good scrape. If, if you're not like technical enough to use dash block, but you're looking to sure. scrape LinkedIn sales nav, Wiza will do it for you um, and extract every everything from LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn sales nav search, which is pretty cool. Um, that is such a powerful tool, LinkedIn sales now. Uh, yeah. so adding things on top of it is a great thing as well. Totally. Apollo.io. Um, if you're looking for like a B2B lead gen database plus, uh, email sequencing, um, they are offering $99 a month for, uh, startups. Um, and it's, it's like competes with zoom info and Clearbit. Um, so it's insane. I think they're just trying to steal all of zoom info's customers. Um, <laughs> Uh, with their pricing. Um, Clerky, if you're looking to incorporate, is very cool. Um, Clerkyapp.com. Yeah, I think that's that's all I can think of off the top of my head. That that was a lot. That was incredible. These will all be at discogrind.com slash podcast. Once you click on the show notes for this episode, uh, we will include those so people can have them. I always love hearing about new new tools, different things, because there are things that are super useful. And if you use, for instance, like the the Product Hunt uh, browser extension, you can you know just see, just see all the new tools being built in Product Hunt. And I find so many different ones there that have been useful for me as I'm building all the things I'm building. Uh, and just as, as you go through kind of creating companies, many different tools there. And Keith, I want to be respectful of your time. Where can people go to learn more about what you're working on and connect with you as well? Yeah. Uh, you can check us out at sayprimer, S-A-Y-P-R-I-M-E-R.com. That's, uh, that's our startup. Uh, if you are doing any kind of paid uh, acquisition, like uh, you know, advertising, um, and you're trying to acquire B2B customers, we are doing some very cool stuff to unlock ad targeting um, to just very specific B2B segments. Um, and then, uh, yeah, feel free to, you know, kind of check me out on LinkedIn. It's uh, my full name's Keith Delaney and posting stuff on there all the time about cool tools and um, th things that we're doing. Perfect. Keith, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Awesome. No, Justin, thanks for having me. This is uh, this is cool. I'm excited to listen to your other guests. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.